Welcome to Future Explorations. I'm glad you can join us. My name is Victor Martinez, and this podcast is dedicated to the exploration of the diversity in perspectives around the concepts of change as a constant we humans need to embrace, long-term thinking as an approach for everything we should build and create, and the limits that our human nature, physiology, society, environment, and technology impose on us by their own intrinsic characteristics. It is your task and mine to identify the connections between all views, to discover the interdependence and complementarity of knowledge and ideas. In that way, we might get a clearer picture of what that sustainable future could look like and how we can design the transition to get us there. Today, I have the immense honor to talk to Dr. Ken Mullinix. Dr. Mullinix attended the University of Missouri, where he earned a Bachelor in Agriculture with a major in Horticulture with emphasis on fruit and vegetable production, and Master's degree in Horticulture, specializing in Pomology, and a PhD in Agriculture Education, specializing in Curriculum and Program Development, Crop Sciences and Soil Conservation. He also earned a PhD from the University of British Columbia in Plant Science. Dr. Mullinix is director of the Institute for Sustainable Food Systems at Kwantlen Polytechnic University in Canada, where he oversees all of the Institute's research projects and its two farm school programs. His research focuses on ecologically sound crop production, agriculture education programming, sustainable agriculture and food systems, and family-based agriculture revitalization as a foundational and integral element of sustainable society. Dr. Mullinix is also an adjunct professor in the Faculty of Land and Food Systems at the University of British Columbia and serves on the editorial board of the North American Colleges and Teachers of Agriculture Journal. He has lived and worked on a diversified family farm in central Missouri, owned and operated with his family for 15 years, a pear orchard on the eastern slopes of the Cascade Mountains, and for 14 years, provided direct oversight for the planning, establishment and management of a 45-acre organically farmed apple, sweet, cherry and peach teaching and demonstration orchard in north-central Washington. Dr. Mullinex, Thank you so much for being with us today. It's, it's an honor to have you. Oh, my pleasure, Victor. Glad Thank to be with you. Thank you very much. So I would like just to start asking you if you could introduce yourself a little bit. Tell us about yourself in a more informal way. Sure. So my name is Kent Mullenix. I'm the director of the Institute for Sustainable Food Systems at Kwantlen Polytechnic University. I have been with KPU since 2007 uh, when I and my family immigrated to Canada from Washington State in the United States. And I'm, I, I'm a citizen of the United States and now a citizen of Canada. Uh, I, I'm an academic by profession. I've been uh, in universities and colleges since uh, 1976 when I graduated from the University of Missouri 
And I have worked for, including Kwantlen, for five universities now. The uh, previous four to Kwantlen Polytechnic University were in the United States and what we call land grant universities. So they all have a college of agriculture and I was affiliated with the College of Agriculture. In, in those positions, I engaged in teaching, applied research and extension activities. So the applied research in agriculture is to learn how to do agriculture better, uh, whatever the objective or the thought of better is, and uh, of course the teaching programs are undergraduate and graduate uh, uh, programs. And uh, extension is something we don't know much about in or recognize uh, particularly in Canada, but it is a really uh, integral and large part of land grant universities. And it, it is the part of the uh, College of Agriculture programming that takes new knowledge wherever it is created out to the users and supports the transmission of that knowledge and the utilization and implementation of that knowledge. And it's, it's really the land grant universities and this applied research in university or, or extension uh, uh, programming in concert with industry and with government that has really created the agriculture food system juggernaut uh, that, that exists today, the global industrial food system. And so uh, I, I have worked in the system and fully recognize the power of that applied research with extension, working in collaboration with private sector and government. So it's very powerful. The question is, of course, to what end? And, uh, and, and, and that, that's the question I started asking myself about 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. what, where is this taking us? Yes. And uh, I really began looking at the, the sustainability of, of the global industrial agri-food system and uh, the rest is history. It, it's, yeah. uh, in my estimation, was not appropriate yeah. uh, in, in many ways and it going in the wrong direction. So at that time, I, I kind of changed the focus of my work at the universities and, and began focusing on the sustainability of agriculture and our food system. By training, Victor, uh -huh. uh, in agriculture. I am a pomologist. I'm a tree fruit specialist. Apples and pears and sweet cherries and peaches are, are what I have studied and, and worked in and done research around and extension around. And, um, and I don't do so much of that anymore. Uh, more focused on, on, on really the just deep sustainability of our food systems, but I still still work a bit in 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 pomology and it's it's really my first love in agriculture. 
Excellent. Yeah. Well, you, you touched so many points. We will we will dig in many of them. Um, I would like to just start by you know asking some very basic things um, because you mentioned and is is part in the name of of the, the institute you lead uh, food systems. Um, when when we you know normal regular human beings when we talk about food we just think you know maybe the supermarket and we just go and buy our stuff and we know that there is a farmer somewhere someone raising animals somewhere and food is sent to us but if you could if you could explain a little bit more what what is this part of the kind of system sounds sounds like big and complex well it, it is it, it it is big and complex and it really um reflects almost everything we do in society uh, I mean, to feed ourselves. So the, the food system uh, in, in its simplest form includes production, but then aggregation, processing, packaging, distribution, sales, uh, and more recently, we've come to recognize waste management as part of the food system. But as I mentioned earlier, uh, research and extension and, and economic development, all part of the food system. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, it is, it really is, and it really is quite complex. And, and the interactions of all of these pieces um, are really hard to understand. And, and I mean, it's easy to, to list them, but it's very difficult to understand the, the uh, extent of their interaction and, and the nuances of their interaction. And, and for that reason, we, we are really, uh, we're really struggling to understand exactly how the system operates and, yeah. and, uh, and, and its impacts. And I would say just for what it's worth, uh, and, and until systems thinking began to emerge a few years ago and in, 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 uh, you know, substantially, we really didn't think about food systems as a system. We didn't even, that wasn't even a term. This, this is a term that's emerged over the last you know, five, 10 years and really come into significant use in the last five years, I would say, or, or it was so. Probably simply called supply chain, maybe? Well, the business people called it a supply chain and, and the agriculture is just called it agriculture and food. Mm -hmm. And really people didn't think about, and, and, and all the elements worked independent of one another essentially their 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 operational objectives uh, existed in this free quote free market system so they just pursue their own interests and objectives and mm -hmm. the expectation was that they just uh, linked together somehow some way and uh, so the system existed but people didn't think of it as a system and nobody really sought to understand it or evaluate the outcomes or or identify a, a objectives uh, uh, from a systems perspective yeah. so this is this is really all new 
Yeah, yeah, that that perfectly fits with my my following question is is how on earth got so complex? I mean, agriculture is being with humans for ten thousand years, maybe more. And and again, I'm ignorant in this point. That's why I'm talking to you. But I can I can imagine that you know. Uh, communities, groups, cities produce their food they, they require. Um, eventually, I imagine, I'm talking about thousands of years ago, I'm trying to just map, map the, the, the past and how we got here, no? Um, I imagine that yeah. uh, commerce start to move between, between different, different groups, different civilizations, and some people had things that others didn't, and then they started to, to, to send these, these goods. Um, but I imagine that at some point something happened, and I'm not really sure if it's one thing or it was several things along this last few thousand years that got us into this complexity. And, and I'm, I'm going to try and be a bit more specific because what I'm, again, imagining is a few thousand years ago, the city producing or community producing their food and maybe having some extra inputs from exotic things that they didn't have in that, that, that area. No, I'm imagining, you know, pepper or or all the uh, yeah. paprika, these type of things uh, um, that maybe were in the east and then not in Europe and so on. Um, but for example, now I I remember when I was I was uh, doing my PhD in England, I was you know doing the groceries and I was buying once green beans. And in the label, I, I learned that by, by law, they have to put where this product comes from. That, at least that's in the UK. And the green beans that I've been buying came from Kenya. And I thought, well, why wait? No, it's, it's not people having pro feeding problems in, in Africa and in, in some other regions. Why are we exporting the food that they are producing that they should be eating? To, to England. So I, I, my immediate reaction is, no, I'm not going to buy this. No, I'm going to buy some, some local stuff. And then I reflected, well, if I don't buy this, there will probably be farmers that don't, don't have their income and they cannot pay their workers. And then I create an economic problem. And I got stuck. It was like, okay, this is too much. And something similar yeah, happens, yeah. happens here where we live, no, in, 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 in British Columbia. Almost everything, especially vegetables, everything is produced in, in, in California. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm a bit less worried about, about you know, obviously, the, 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 the uh, feeding problems in the US. That's not an issue there. Um, but how on earth we got this complexity from, from thousands of years ago where the agriculture was the normal thing in life to produce your food into this, this really complex uh, 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 network and, and terrible dependency. We, this idea of food security yeah. is just also very yeah. new. Well, Victor, that's, you know, that's really a good question. And I don't know that anybody has really answered it comprehensively, but I, I can, I can share some thinking on it. I would like to say, however, before I do, it's entirely likely that those green beans were not produced by local farmers in Kenya, huh? but produced on a plantation type farm that had displaced the local farmers. And, uh, and, and was grown exclusively for uh, export to other countries to capitalize on some market advantage. And, and the net result was probably the displacement of local farmers and their ability to grow food for themselves or for a local economy. So uh, 
that's typically what's happened. Okay. So, so the question is, why did this emerge? Throughout history of agriculture, our, our 11,000 year history for most of that history, 10,500 or more years, agriculture was localized or regionalized and food systems were regionalized, highly regionalized. And so uh, what you grew and you ate in one region was not the same as what was grown and eaten in another region because it was linked to the climate and geophysical capacities of place. And, 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 and commerce was more regionalized, high, much more regionalized. So, so food systems were just regionalized. And, and as you said, absolutely, there was trade um, of, of specialty crops and people valued that. And, and even, even in indigenous food systems in Canada, there was trade, yeah. uh, you know, from the, the West Coast to the prairies and back and forth. And so there's always been a little trade. So, so I would say that the two things that created the situation that we have now, uh, by and large, uh, is one, the Industrial Revolution, uh, really allowed uh, significant changes to agriculture. And, and then uh, just the whole, uh, but even with the industrialization of agriculture, even in North America, food systems were largely regionalized. Even when I was young, food systems were far more regionalized than they are now. We had, uh, I grew up in the, in the Midwest and the Upper South. There'd be all sorts of local brands, you mm -hmm. know, regional brands of, of this product and that product that don't exist now. And so even with the industrialization of agriculture, regionalization of food systems persisted, the, the, advent of a globalized food system uh, in combination with, with industrialization really uh, started emerging in the 70s, 19s, it, from a North American perspective, the 70s and, and, and really started gaining momentum in the 80s. And it's, it's exactly uh, commensurate with the uh, liberalization of our economy. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the whole philosophy of building uh, a global industrial economy, you know, uh, came out of the Chicago School of Economics that everybody was to pursue their, their, their uh, own interests and, and uh, gain economies of scale. And, and we saw a, a um, really a movement to maximize profit uh, and, and do so by going to places where labor's the cheapest, land's the cheapest. And, and, and so in essence, with, uh, uh, in my estimation, 
the, the, the thing that really has driven the global industrial food system is neoliberal economics. Mm-hmm. It, it has just yeah. really run roughshod over all aspects of our economy and, and, the, and the food system is just one. Yeah, this, this idea that now we can eat anything we want, anytime we want it, is, is, um, it sounds, sounds very uh, romantic in, this, in the idea of you know, the freedom and, and the, 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 the ability to eat. And it, it has seen it a very positive message in terms of the individual, what I can do for myself. I, I, have, I have the power to do what I want whenever I want it. But at the same time, people, I don't, I don't know if, if this, this, you have this feeling, this is a pure, my, my, my thinking is that people has lost the, 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 the understanding of what that means. Um, yeah. And I do this with, with my students, for example, when I'm explaining about uh, systems and, and um, interdependence and so on, I explain to them, uh, for example, oranges, you know, and, and how, the natural world relates also to, to humans. And I said, oranges. Um, do you know, I'm asking my students, do you know when, har- when, when oranges are harvested? And it's very rare that anybody knows when, when oranges are harvested. And I tell them, well, what does oranges have that your body really needs? Oh, vitamin C. And everybody that knows that, that one at least. And when is it that you need more vitamin C? No, when you get ill from what? Oh, I cold and cough. And when you get the cold in winter, oh, there you are. No, it's like, and then you harvested your oh. oranges in, at the beginning of of of, uh, of uh, winter, later uh, late fall, um, and and things like that is is crazy. Uh, you know. Um, well, you, you know, it it strikes me just for what it's worth. To, uh, it, allow me to interject quickly. Yeah. You know, we've gained the ability to have whatever we want whenever we want it. And, and we, we attribute that ability to uh, get whatever we want, whenever we want it as a good thing, but, but is it? it we, has we've a- lost connection with seasonality. Mm-hmm. We've, yes. we've lost, you know, connection with place. We, we don't even, we don't see those things anymore. And, and that's, you know, I, 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 one wonders if that's a good thing that we've lost. There is a, I think there is a price to pay for that. And, and yes. I'm not really sure everybody understands really what that price is. And, and the, the, um, the, other, the other problems that, that go along with it. I'll, I'll, we'll try to explore that more in detail further down. Okay. Um, so I, I listened to your, your TED talk. So uh, Dr. Molinix did a, a very interesting uh, TED talk in, in 2014. So I'm gonna base some of these uh, contents from that interview, but I would like to go deeper. So in, in your speak, uh, in your TED talk, you mentioned, um, well, do you explain a little bit about the, the, what is called conventional agriculture that is actually industrial agriculture. Mm-hmm. You just told us that and it's, mm-hmm. it's fairly new. Um, and I love what you use as uh, uh, you mentioned that it became the dominant worldviews, no, that is limitless, that we can eat whatever you want, yeah. whenever you want it. And there is no problem with waste and there is no problem with pollution. And there is this idea of limitless. 
And, and you know, I've been running these interviews precisely touching these topics of change, long-term thinking, and limitless. So starting with limits, um, what, what do you think are the, the most evident limits that we have broken so far in terms of, of our food production? Very good question. We, we have definitely um, broken the limit of soil being a, a, a precious non-renewable resource. Our, our lack of appreciation of that and our lack of care in that regard uh, really threatens our ability to grow food. Uh, soil formed uh, over millennia, many, many millennia ago. And, mm. and uh, there's not enough compost facilities in the world to even begin to produce enough soil uh, mm. to replace the soil that were that that erodes into the Gulf of Mexico every year or or the South China Sea and so so uh, uh, without soil we lose our our crop production capability uh, go ahead yeah no is that I I um I, I learned a couple of things not so long ago and about a, a long ago about the soil. And I just, if you may, uh, we, can, can we just talk a little bit about that? Because again, sure. this is me in my great ignorance. And I think many people will, will be in my position. Um, I, I didn't really know that this idea of soil is a very thin, well, relatively thin layer that sits in most of the, the earth's crust where there is no water, obviously that has all the organic and mineral necessary to grow plants. And this is basically after a process that took literally billions of years of organisms just mm -hmm. dying and being recycled, dying and being recycled. And then slowly this, what, what you were saying through millennia, grew this capacity of, of, the, of the soil, this strata of, of, of dirt basically with all these rich components. And basically, if we lose that thin layer, underneath there is really nothing, it's like Mars. There is nothing alive, no organic, no, no food for our plants to grow. And there is, there is exactly. no plants, there is no um, herbivores, and there is no humans. So exactly if you right. could expand a little bit about this, this idea of soil and, 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 and the, the, the importance of it. Well, well, absolutely. All of our crop production and, and then consequently animal production, because we have to feed them plants, is all, is all predicated on the cultivation of soil and, and, and not any soil, only the agriculturally productive soils. There are many soils uh, on the Earth's surface that are not capable of, of supporting agriculture. So, okay. so those soils that support agriculture uh, were developed over millennia. And, and uh, as I say, the good Lord isn't making any more of it. And, and so, but we're losing it uh, very rapidly from e erosion, desertification and contamination and uh, urban encroachment. And, and, and as we come up against the limit of, of soil, 
area with good soil in it, we will come up against our limit of producing food. And many, many people are not seemingly too worried about this and think the technologies will save the day. And, and uh, I, I, however, think that's um, disingenuous and ignorant because there is no technology that will replace this precious non-renewable resource. There is no technological replacement for soil-based crop production. There simply isn't. Yes. And, and even if there was, should that be what, where we go? Because I, I believe that agriculture should first and foremost, first and foremost, Victor, be configured and operate to nurture Mother Earth, not to destroy her. And that means an agriculture that takes care of soil and 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 we can and 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 regenerates the uh, vitality of soil yeah. and its ability to support crop production. So so uh, yeah, this this is one example of, of pushing up against limits. Another example of pushing up against limits is, is uh, greenhouse gas emissions. Agriculture and our food system uh, likely contributes, you know, an estimated 30, 35% of all anthropomorphic greenhouse gases. And uh, as we all know, that uh, uh, source of greenhouse gases, along with other sources of greenhouse gases, are... Um, are, are more than than Mother Earth can take. We we have exceeded the limits of uh, our atmosphere's ability to absorb these greenhouse gases, and climate change is the result. the 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 irony, of course, is that agriculture is absolutely more than any other human activity dependent on on very narrow climatic. Uh, yes. uh, qualities. Mm -hmm. We grow crops where the climate and this is suitable and the soils exist. And we're, we're destroying the soils and we're destroying the climate. Yeah. And so we are literally destroying our ability to grow crops. Yes. Um, so another, I, another limit. Uh, oh, go ahead. No, no, please go ahead. I'll, I'll go back to okay. that. Two, two, two other limits that just come into my head. One is fresh water. Mm. Agriculture already consumes 70% of the world's fresh water. And, mm. and, and we're, we're, we're pumping rivers and aquifers dry. It's estimated that in the prairies uh, of the United States, the, the corn belt, the grain belt of the United States, there's only there's only... 30 more years of water left in the Ogallala aquifer because they're pumping it dry. In India, in the Punjab, uh, the, one of the world's bread baskets, just like the prairies of, of uh, the US, they are pumping their aquifers dry. And without water, there is no crop production. 
there just isn't. Uh, another, another limitation that I think that we're coming up against that few people think about is farmers, people to engage in crop yes. production. Yeah. We, we've, uh, and, and we're at the point now where only 1.5% of our population in North America is engaged in farming and, and anywhere where industrial agriculture, uh, conventional agriculture has been adopted, uh, farmer number and, 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 and engaged in this uh, global economy, farmer numbers plummet. Yes. And, uh, but, but as, as we address the challenges of the 21st century in terms of food production and sustainability within a, a, an agri-food, agriculture food system, that is truly sustainable, we are gonna need far more farmers, way more farm, because they're, they're gonna to have to be ecologists and, and, and really trained in agroecology and, and how to produce crops in a way that conserves soil, reduces carbon emissions, uh, and, and operates in a way that otherwise nurtures Mother Earth, not exploits and destroys her. And we're not training these people yes. anywhere in, in, in sufficient numbers. I, there are so many things to talk about, the things you, you these limits that you mentioned. Is, is let's, let's go one by one. It's fascinating. Yeah. Thank you. It's, it's, really, it's really powerful. So going back, because the, the, the five, in your TED talk, you mentioned five problems. And I think these five problems touches what you, you were mentioning about these limits. So let's, let's try to, to review them quickly and go a little bit deeper in the things you said. Sure. So for example, one of the first one that you mentioned is, is the uh, fossil fuel input. And um, yeah. I, I guess, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, I think this relates in two different ways. One is the use of fossil fuels to be transformed into fertilizers to get all these nutrients to the soil that we are taking out. So that's, that's, that's I think, correct. one of the one of the arguments. No, if, if we are eroding the soil, don't worry, we can just fix it. No, we can just put some more fertilizer. What is what yeah. is wrong with that approach? Why, why, why not do that? Two reasons. One is because we are destroying this precious natural resource, soil, and we don't have to. In an, in an ecologically sound production system, the, the use of synthetic nitrogenous fertilizers is very uh, deleterious it, to, to soil health and particularly to soil uh, microbiota. Yeah. So, so you can't, you know, you can't cycle the carbon in, in the soil and maintain organic mm -hmm. content. And so it's also very expensive. So farmers are paying for this when they don't need to be. Yeah. The, the, the third and, and, and really important reason is we're running out of oil. And, and to have a food system that is entirely uh, dependent on fossil fuels when it doesn't need to be, yeah. doesn't make sustainability sense. Yes. There, there's, there, 
the the, res, the resilience in the system yeah. uh, is is uh, uh, compromised by that. So the, there, the, the, if I understood correctly, then the idea, the logic is that you, you cannot replace the nutrients in soil after billions of years of evolution, pumping some fertilizers made synthetically with fossil fuels. There is there is there is no the same uh, uh, type of of um, interaction with other organisms and with other cycles uh, in in the environment. So it doesn't it doesn't just simply work like that. And and the other one that it, is it doesn't simply work. It was because What's we that? don't. And yeah, no. It, the other part is that the beautiful thing that you just said that because we don't really need to. So we are doing we things when we don't really need to. Please. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, I mean, Victor, it, this is an example of how complex it is. And it's really, uh, it's difficult to explain all of the, all of the pieces in this. So, so for all of agriculture's, for most of agriculture's history, we did not use synthetic nitrogenous fertilizers. We integrated animals into the production system and they, they cycled nitrogen. And, and other nutrients. And so we, we far less dependent on fertilizers and far more dependent on maintaining soil health through agroecological methods that included the integration of, of animals into the crop production system. Um, it is true that, that the, the, the profligate use of nitrogenous fertilizers in a farm field uh, has negative impacts it uh, on the on the soil. It 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 negatively impacts the the health and vitality of microbial populations. It also uh, it, uh, most of it leaches out of the system and goes into yes. the oceans and waterways and yes. creates these hypoxic zones. So we're yes. destroying huge amounts of. Yes. of life in, in the ocean. Literally yep. the hypoxic zone in the Gulf of Mexico is, is once was a prolific fishery. It's now 70 square miles on average any given years of dead ocean. Dead, dead and it's ocean. all agriculture runoff. Yes. Yeah, dead From ocean. the Mississippi River. And, no? and uh, yeah, Mississippi River. Absolutely. Uh, and, and there are over 400 of these hypoxic zones in the oceans around the world. So it's not just North America. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's this system. Um, the, 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 uh, there's also perhaps, though science has not established this uh, clearly, but I suspect it is true there, there's a relationship between how we grow food and its nutrient value. We uh -huh. assume that, for example, a carrot is a carrot is a carrot. But the research is, uh, is fairly clear over the last uh, four or five decades or more, the, the nutrient content or what we call nutrient density of, of fruits, vegetables, meat, dairy have changed yes. and, and, and mostly they, they have become less nutritious. And uh, so, so we, are, we are farming the minerals and nutrients out of the soil, not replacing them, but we're still getting our crops to grow by throwing on 
uh, uh, copious quantities of nitrogen and other key nutrients. And so really we've ended up growing our crops in many instances in an empty vessel, empty, uh, empty of the, the nutrient uh, complement. And, and the plants are growing in an environment and, this, and, and the use of pesticides is associated with this too, because with, with ex excessive pesticide use, plants we select and, and the plants growing don't have to uh, produce secondary metabolites to fend off uh, pests, which is what they normally do. And these secondary metabolites uh, in many instances are the source of the nutritive value that mm -hmm. we derive from consuming these. So anyway, the, yes. between the soil and secondary metabolite production and Lord knows whatever else with the industrialization of agriculture, we are seeing the dilution of the nutrient nutrition value of the foods we're producing and the foods we're eating. And, and uh, the, 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 the quintessential example is spinach. There, there, it's been reported that there is no iron to speak of in spinach anymore. And when I was a child, That's, we were all yeah. told to eat spinach to get strong. Yes, of course. Yeah. I still eat my spinach every day. <laughs> yeah. So, so then that translates to us, Victor. Yes. And I've, I've heard agriculturists say this. They think this is okay because that means you have to eat more spinach or more strawberries or more oranges to get the nutrition because we haven't changed have we yes we and haven't changed no of course no we still need those uh, whatever thousands of calories and nutrients and so on the 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 logic behind that uh, you know i'm i'm just connecting dots and i'm taking a lot of assumptions this is just me thinking mm -hmm. this idea of oh this is great then they will need to buy more so i make more money so mm -hmm. i get richer the, yeah. the the it connects with the economics it always yes. does yes the i've been i've been talking with other guests about this idea of limitless growth as well in terms of economics but i, I won't go there now with you because there are so many other topics that i will i would like to touch um, well, but 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 just it's important to note that this growth economy mindset is also driving the industrialization of agriculture Oh yeah, for sure. And the yes. food system, just like yeah. it is everything else. So it's yeah. uh, the agriculture and the food system is not immune from that. Yes. That uh, really destructive. Yeah. Economic I, philosophy. I agree. I agree. Um, a couple, a couple of quick things that that um, um, I know is is a very large, large topic, but. Um, when you mentioned pesticides, I immediately thought about obviously insects, and. I've been reading in the last few years reports, you know, research, especially from Europe, uh, reporting the the incredibly rapid disappearance of insects. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, most people think about insects as uh, insects as something that is is not pleasant. It's something that you would like to avoid. You know, all these bugs crawling and spiders and things. But there is there is. Uh, an essential, absolutely essential connection between insects and the, the, the food that we eat, mm -hmm. among many other things. 
But, uh, you know, the classic example, but is not only the bees. Um, what, what are the things that you have heard about bees? And I, I know we are importing bees from New Zealand or something like that here in, in, in Canada, because we just don't have more bees anymore. They're disappearing. Yeah, yeah well, uh, you're, you're quite right. The, the disappearance of, of arthropod species of insects is really disturbing because they are linchpins in ecosystems, right? And there literally are, are more insect species than, than anything else. Yeah. Um, so it is very distressing that, that uh, they, are, they are disappearing at such uh, alarm, uh, at such rates, alarming rates. And, and, and bees and other pollinizer species uh, disappearance is really disturbing because uh, so many of our agriculture crops, our food crops, our fiber crops, our feed crops are absolutely dependent on insect pollination. Yeah. And without it, there's no crop. And, and uh, no, no, nobody's really yet been able to say this is why. Yeah bees are disappearing, uh, but fingers point to habitat loss and also the profligate use of insecticides and, yes. and particularly uh, the neonicotinoid insecticides, just very toxic yeah. to, to these species. Um, you know, it's, a, it's another example of our cavalier approach to agriculture and food production, and its its relationship to, and our relationship to Mother Nature and and other other living organisms that we are dependent on or even not dependent on. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Um, okay. I need to touch really quickly another one. Okay. Um, I was in Twitter the other day. I try to avoid Twitter because it's one of the worst, most toxic places ever. I, I get the press every time I go in. But I was I was looking at one uh, one tweet. I, I won't go into details about what, but the conversation went down to um, greenhouse gas emissions. You know, especially specifically CO two is good for plants. That's one of the things that plants need to grow. So having more CO2 in the atmosphere is actually good. There has been some evidence coming from NASA, so really, really serious sources, trustworthy sources, that some regions of the planet, some people say all over the planet, there has been more green, more plants growing because of more presence of CO2. And the people that I interacted with, because I dared to respond one of those tweets and it was, you know, it's always a bad idea. Uh, but I replied one of those tweets uh, and he was a farmer a 30 year old farmer or 30 years in farming. Mm -hmm. And obviously I cannot teach anything about farming to a farmer, but I was trying to explain from at least the, uh, the, 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 the papers that I have read and the things that I, I know that yes, he's absolutely true, but there, there, is, there is a specific threshold between, you know, it's good for plants and then th that's it. It's no longer good and, and it's gonna get worse. Mm -hmm. What, how, how will you, explain to a farmer being a farmer and, and knowing about agriculture how would you explain a farmer that even though you know the 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 instinct says co2 is good for plants it's actually not 
Yeah, yeah. Well, it, well, it is it is true that in general, as you increase CO two levels, then then uh, plants photosynthetic rates increase and the carbohydrate production increases. But in agriculture, we have a concept of limiting factors. And, and, and really what it says is the plant's growth and development is limited by the most limiting factor for growth. So there are 16 nutrient elements, at least 16, that, that are considered essential for plant growth. And carbon is one of them. And uh, if, if you increase carbon availability, the plant will utilize it only to the extent that all the other nutrients don't limit its utilization. And so while the increased carbon in the atmosphere may result in increased plant growth and development, uh, it's, it's, all, it's everything else that's gonna limit it. So it's, it's really just not, it, it's really no panacea at all. It's, it's not yeah. anything important. The other thing is, it, you know, I have to say I'm, I'm not I'm not up up on this line of research completely, but it may be that increased carbon content in the atmosphere and availability uh, driving increased plant growth and development that's that's contributing to lack of nutrition mm. in plants because they can't take and incorporate up all the other nutrients. So you've got plants growing, but to no. what end, you know, which, which really uh, leads to another uh, concept that we need to be thinking about. Uh, we need to farm for nutrition to provide mm -hmm. that. That's what farming is in agriculture is about is to provide nutrition for people. Yes. It, it first and foremost, but we've turned it into solely a money-making venture. And uh, because that's what we do, uh, we uh, in hyper capitalistic economies, but but we need to take a step back mm -hmm. and and start farming for nutrition to provide nutrition to people in the most ecologically sound and and resource effective ways. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I remember in your TED talk, you mentioned that right now, well, it was 2014, I, but I don't think this, this uh, uh, figure has changed much, that right now we produce around uh, 3,200 calories um, per human per day. Mm -hmm. that, that is more than what we need. It is. It is way more. Why are we then do, doing all these things wrong? Why we have people in hunger and and people obese? And I yeah. just I just can't understand. And, and and why are we so bent on developing technologies to improve to increase production, which will increase pressure on natural resources? Yeah, and it's because our sole motivation is wealth generation. Mm -hmm. it, it's not about feeding people. It's clear. It's not about feeding people. It, it may be about uh, producing the foods to capture market so that you can get their money, extract their money for things. But it's it, our agriculture is not, and our food system is not about feeding people anymore. It, it really is about yeah. 
capturing market and generating wealth. And the and to the question of why, if we're have if we produce so much food, is there still food insecurity in the world? It's because of that very reason. We grow and produce food to provide it to people who have the means to pay for it. Yes. And if you don't have the means to pay for it, sorry. Just go hungry. Just go go hungry. hungry. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's so so we also need to inject uh, ethic into our food system. Yes, good point. Yes, time is flying. It's it's been more than an hour, almost uh, an hour already. Um, let's let's go back to those five problems. We just touched one. <laughs> the okay. other one was the excess of water. We already talked a little bit about that. No, you you mentioned that there are regions in the world that are just pumping so much water, but. Um, Again, from what I know, correct me, please, and expand the the, uh, the idea of extracting water from fresh water from different areas. As far as I know, there are two main places where we can find water. One is the, the running rivers, mm -hmm. uh, the water that is constantly flowing. And the other ones are the deep um, 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 aquifers. Uh, aquifers. Thank you very yeah. much. And one important thing to say that that those aquifers have been formed again by millions of years of water filtration. And the problem basically is that we are pumping much, much faster than they can replenish by the natural natural uh, uh, rhythm. So is 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 well, I guess two questions. Is is that why we're running running load of uh, low on water? And the other one is is why are we running load of water? Because it's, it used to be a cycle. No, it, it used yeah. to be a sustainable agriculture. Yeah. What happened? Well, uh, previously, as in all things. Uh, our agriculture was limited by natural processes. You know, uh, we didn't irrigate crops. The, the, there was precipitation, and we lived with the. Uh, we we created diverse farms that would be more uh, productive in in drier in in those areas that we created diverse farms that would have productivity. And drought, and and productivity if there wasn't drought, and and we built resilience to the extent we could within these systems, and and with the advent of industrialization, our agriculture uh, became utterly dependent on nitrogenous fertile synthetic nitrogenous fertilizers, pesticides, and irrigation. And, and we have a system that is absolutely dependent on those inputs now. No more nutrient cycling on farm with, with integrated animals. No more uh, designing your farm and farming in concert with the natural precipitation patterns mm -hmm. and with, with a little augmentation from irrigation. No more agroecology or selection of cultivars that were uh, uh, resistant to pests. We we replaced all that with all those things with technology, and yeah. and and the, so so we can't grow the crops that we grow now without a lot of water, mm. and the economics of our system requires that we obtain the yields that can only be obtained with the, with the use of these technologies. Yes. So we've created our own treadmill mm -hmm. 
here. And the fact of the matter is, uh, with the expansion of, of these water thirsty crops pushed by uh, profligate use of nitrogenous fertilizers and pesticides, we're just using more water and more and more and more water. Mm -hmm. And um, in those areas where, where the agriculture is aligned uh, at large with the recharge rate of the, of the surface waters and the, the subsurface waters, okay. But mm -hmm. we're exceeding those uh, recharge yeah. rates. We're pumping rivers dry Mm -hmm. And we are pumping ancient aquifers dry. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're pumping water out of these uh, bodies faster, as you alluded to, than they can be recharged. Yes. And, um, and that's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, of course. Yes, yes, yes. We are in a clear trend. Um, while I was listening to you now, I was thinking uh, there, is, there is also... Um, um, a social aspect, I think, for this. So this is just a crazy thought that came into my mind. Um, because I, I think one other problem that we have, especially, I guess, with other, with different factors, but specifically with water, is the fact that we have concentrated production in very specific areas, and there's huge areas. I remember, again, while living in Europe for a little bit, that uh, uh, many of the of the food, the vegetables that were grown and fruits, um, came from uh, um, an area in the south of Spain called Murcia, and this area is so huge. They have greenhouse uh, green um, greenhouses uh, to grow food all year round, and there are so many that you can actually see them from space, from the International yeah. Space Station. You can see the the wide section of greenhouse. Uh, greenhouses in in the south of Spain, and and yeah, we uh, in, in I remember in England we were eating tomatoes from Spain and a bunch of other things. Um, I, I guess is that concentration of of production. No, I I don't imagine how you know huge cities like London or Berlin or New York or even even here in in Vancouver, we can actually be you know self forget about self-sufficient but at least a percentage of our food grown in in these places so then we have created these huge complexes of of um, uh, production in places like murcia and, and other like california as well and they are just exceeding the limits of the capacity uh, of those uh, regions though the ecological capacities of those regions uh, the 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 Colorado River is, uh, is, a, is, a, is a terrible disgrace. Yeah, what yeah. we have done with that river. The Rio Grande, the Colorado, yeah, being pumped dry. Absolutely. So sounds like a, like a like kind of a logic theory that concentration of growing food, that is something that we should be kind of distributing the production of our food to make we, it more we, sustainable. Well, we should, yeah. We, we, need to, we need to think of food systems, uh, I think, um, more much more aligned with place and yes. so li link agriculture and the food system with bioregions that's that's my thinking yes and, and I, some, some of the work of the institute i will i uh, will get there at, at the end of your talk you mentioned those I'll, I'll get there i'll let you okay talk. okay let's go yeah let's go to the next we need to do that yeah 
Yes. Um, so the, the other problem you mentioned is that um, agriculture is no longer economically sustainable for farmers and also every time more for consumers. Yeah. And, you know, intuitively, yes, I can say I can see that there are less and less farmers. Um, is is mostly an economic reason. It's also a generation uh, thing that new new uh, the youngsters don't want to take on these farmer uh, positions. Or what? Why is not longer economically sustainable for for farmers? Uh, yeah, well, that's a good question too. So, and it, and it absolutely is linked to the industrialization of agriculture, and and the globalization of our food system. Uh, so the fact of the matter is uh, since the 70s, and let, we'll just take Canada, for example, but it's, it's illustrative of wherever industrial agriculture and the global food system has been adopted. The net farm income of Canadian farmers for the last 70 years, which is essentially since the industrialization back agriculture has been flat, relatively flat. But the cost of production has gone up, 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 really exponentially. The, the, the cost of production curve over the same 70 years is steep, really steep. And the, 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 that cost of production curve is for all of the inputs for industrial agriculture water, electricity, fuel, machinery, pesticides, fertilizers, etc. And the fact of the matter is, uh, farmers over these 70 years and increasingly today cannot recoup the investment that they make in producing crops uh, with, with what they get for them. Mm -hmm. so, so literally, the farm has become a throughput for huge amounts of money in, in the industrial uh, farming enterprise. But the farmer itself, herself or himself, received very little yeah. for, for all of that work that they do. All of the other pre-production and post-production uh, elements of the food system have figured out how to capture all of the value in food and, and, and uh, leaving little to nothing for the farmer. So, so, so the industrialization of agriculture and, and the transnationalization of the food system has resulted in that economic reality. Yeah. Yeah, and that's just and I the fact. Yeah, no, for sure. The the but, uh, but, but now to, to your second question though. Oh yeah. So so while conventional farming uh, is not profitable, increasingly not profitable, and farmers struggle and they get out of the farming business, and and uh, farmer numbers dwindle, and we worry about the number of farmers. There is a movement amongst young people and a great desire to engage in farming by a segment, a, a large segment of young people, but they don't want anything to do with the global industrial system. They want to engage in 
uh, they want to engage in sustainable regenerative farming practices and a food system that's focused on community. They want to rebuild uh, uh, an ecologically sound community focused agriculture and food system. And I work with I work with dozens of them every day. That is that is so that's but, so good to hear. But they don't they don't want the old system anymore oh, yeah. anymore that and it's you know and it's the same with so many aspects of our society and economy. Yeah, no, for sure. In in the conversation I have had, there are there are many examples in which you know, and the whole purpose as well of this this podcast is is to just explore. Yeah. what we've been doing wrong how how you know different topics interconnect and how we really need just to confront things in different ways we need to solve our problems in in a different way um and again, different ways of thinking absolutely yes I, I would add that these young people who want to do this are working hard to create these food systems awesome. uh, against all odds because the system is stacked against yes. them yes I would like to get there in a moment as well, because even uh, even here I have just crossing the street where I live from, I have some really horrible examples. So the last problem that you mentioned in your in your in your talk, um, and I guess connect with the fourth one is that um, we are only feeding the affluent and that's not sustainable. No. So the no. prices go higher. Obviously, that that um, higher cost. Uh, translate into into um, higher prices for consumers and and obviously every time more and more people are just not meeting their demands or their basic needs even so that's that's the the uh, the fifth problem you would like to expand a little bit more on that how how is it that we are just stopping to feed humans and the amount of people that are still going hungry yeah i think i think it's important to recognize that of course we engage in our professional activities to earn a living absolutely and uh, and and farming is is no different but farming made a transition in the 70s from uh, uh, being um, more integral to the overall uh, community regional economy and and it became uh, and and it, it 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 was a vital part of the economy but with the industrialization the wholesale industrialization of, of agriculture uh, as we've discussed it it just became more difficult for farmers to be economically viable and and it wasn't just because of the cost of production and and the advent of this transnational food system it also occurred because government and the sector in in collaboration pursued an agriculture and food system that was designed primarily if not exclusively to contribute to GDP, and 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 they they believed and still do that the mechanisms for that are to support the industrial giants in the agri food system, and so uh, 
Canada's food agriculture policy right now is all about increasing the export value of mm -hmm. Canadian agriculture. And it's not about feeding people. It's, mm -hmm. it's not about creating an agri-food system and an attendant economy that yeah. is about stability and sustainability mm -hmm. and feeding yeah. people. We, we have an agriculture like everything else that's predicated on the concept that all of our problems will be solved through the creation of wealth. So just create wealth and yes. all the problems are solved. And, and so the net result is truly, we have an agriculture and food system that is absolutely unequivocally 100% designed simply to provide food for people who have the money to pay for it. Yeah. And, and, and as the cost of production goes up and the, the hegemonic system is able to extract more from food, it's becoming less and, 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 the, and the cost of production or uh, uh, are, are the, the inputs become more scarce, water, land, fuel. Uh, the net result is food, food inflation is far outstripping general inflation. And so only people with money get to eat. And that's just the way it is. In the, in the 1970s, Earl Butts, Nixon's um, Secretary of Agriculture, admonished American farmers that farming was big business. And he said, get big or get out. Mm -hmm. And oh, yeah. really what he was saying is our policies are about big agriculture, uh, export markets, and there's not room for a yeah. bunch of little farmers. We just want big industrial farms. Yes, that is uh, that is a super interesting question that I I have talked a little bit with other other of my guests. It's, it's a more philosophical question about um, where are we heading? You know, with this with this behavior and with this trend, where are we heading? What what is the purpose if we are going to grow? If we are going to grow, where to? What for? Um, I'm obviously not against wealth. I'm not against having money to buy your things and everything. But what, what, is, what is driving our desire to grow? And yeah. what is driving our desire to make money beyond meeting the basic needs? And I'm not saying that we should just yeah. be, be happy of, of achieving these minimal things. There must be more to life than that. But we are reaching a point in yeah. which the amount of population and the resources of the planet, we, we cannot just everybody <clears throat> aspire to be a billionaire. It is, it is a, clear, yeah. a, clear, a clear limit. But let's, let's continue and, and, and uh, time is running super fast. Let's, let's, uh, let's move away from, from the gloom and doom and terrible things that okay. is, is, is hard to talk about. Um, because at, at the end of your talk, you, you end with some really beautiful messages about what personally you felt from uh, moving from an obligation to an opportunity and what 
what do you see for the future of agriculture and the and the um, food security and food systems in in any region? So you already hinted with a couple of things, but I would love to go into 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 more depth, please. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, I I think first any of these the challenges that we face are real, and and facing them. You know, I've been I've been in 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 my work in food systems and sustainability and bringing up all these challenges um, more than once. I, I I've been chastised for being pretty depressing, and but but I believe there is there is hope uh, resides in acknowledging the challenges that we face. There is no hope if you stick your head in the sand. So, so the basis of hope is understanding what the challenges are. The other basis of hope is having a sense of what needs to be done and, and knowing that it's simply the right thing to do. And, and that's where hope lies for me uh, understanding the challenges and and having an alternate vision predicated on it simply being the right thing to do and so you know that's where a lot of the debate comes in though what's what's the right thing to do and what vision does it provide uh i i and this is where sustainability thinking comes in for me. I, I, I know it's overused. I know many people consider it to be trite and it, and, and uh, they think it, they, they, um, you know, have a cavalier perspective about it. But if you, if you think about it, it's, it's defining, it's directing and it's inspiring. And, and if I know anything, Humans have to learn to live on Earth in a way that that one uh, does not undermine the the health and vitality of the very basis of our existence, which is Mother Earth. Mm -hmm. We have to do this, and we have to create economies that uh, allow. The, the dignity and the sanctity of all life, all, all humans and all other life beings, yes. life, life. And if there's a purpose for human beings, in my mind, it is to nurture this earth and, and in that provide, create the opportunity, the social economic environment for all human beings and all creatures to, to engage in this healthy, mutually uh, supportive envir environment. Mm -hmm. And I, I, so I, I think it's incredibly, it's an incredibly powerful, but you know, it, it really requires us, Victor, to rethink what it is to be human. And, and right now, we we think that what it is to be human is to dominate the earth and run roughshod of it over it and 
you know, I've been thinking a, a, a lot about this lately, and my, my spouse and I have been talking about it lately. I think that, that we have, and it's, it's been, this thinking of ours has been fomented by contemporary discussions around residential schools in Canada and, mm -hmm. and uh, what has transpired over the last few hundred years to Indigenous uh, peoples and, and uh, nations in, this, in Canada. I think the real problem is that we bring a colonialist mindset to everything we do. Mm -hmm. we, we, we operate in a colonialist economy. We, we think that everything is out there for us to conquer and to exploit and wring whatever wealth we can wring out of it for ourselves. And then when there's no, nothing left to wring, we walk away and leave it there to yeah you know do whatever so you know I, I i i don't i don't think that it's a problem with uh, capitalism per se you know the pursuit of of uh, free markets and business and commerce and all that's great but we don't have free markets in agriculture anymore there are no free markets in the food system anymore. There's there's too much hegemonic control. And so anyway, I guess what I'm getting at is I think we just need to bring a whole different perspective to what it is to be human. No, for sure. And, and it can't it can't be uh, the creation of wealth at any cost anymore. We can't afford that. We couldn't afford it back when it emerged as a way of thinking and a way of being uh but so we sure we, as heck can't afford it now no yeah no i agree completely so in in that sense what how do you picture these these um uh sustainable food systems i i uh, remember you mentioned something related to family base community uh, is is clear this mindset about stewardship of of the land um, and you also mentioned that there are many young people nowadays. What has happened in the last? Because this, this uh, TED talk is is relatively old. It's 2014. So, yeah. what yeah. has happened in the last few years? In the couple of years of of the pandemic, what what is the latest of of uh, what you have seen this happening out there? Yeah. Well, that this is this is interesting. So, I I think that over the last five years, maybe, and really gaining with the pandemic, there is a, a, a real a surgence of awareness of the unsustainability and the fragility of our food system mm -hmm. and, uh, 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 and, and global uh, climate change is contributing to this as well. And there is so, so just overall a general increase in awareness in, in the population and an increase in the desire to rebuild more substantial, more robust local regional economies just across the board. Yeah. And I think that there is, uh, in, in agriculture and the food system, there is a head start and people see that because, because folks have been working to build uh, local regional food systems for quite a while now. Mm -hmm. uh, with, with not great success, 
but but folks are paying attention and folks are paying more attention now. So I have actually seen a real upsurge across the board in, in recognition that building robust local regional food systems is a smart thing to do from a resiliency standpoint, from a, uh, uh, and from an economic development standpoint yeah, and, yeah. and uh, creating business opportunities and, and job opportunities within communities. So yeah. I'm encouraged. You did a story of um, in, in uh, the city of Surrey, you did a study about uh, all the unused land that could be transformed to mm -hmm. agriculture and you found some really, really interesting possibilities. Did anything of that move ahead or change anything? No, I don't think, you know, we do a lot of work like that to delineate the, the uh, economic and food production and job creation potentials of local regional food systems. Uh, within, within the policy uh, governance domain, there hasn't been a lot of movement. This is, so this is the other thing I was going to say that I've, I've seen over the last years. While there's, there's tremendous popular appreciation for the value of creating local regional food systems and rethinking uh, how we produce food and, and the economics around it and the social dimensions of it, that's not being reflected in, in the governance structures. Uh, federally or, or provincially why why you think there there's because they're focused on on gross domestic product growth and and, and they have are. a uh, just a real myopic perspective on how you create yeah. economy robust economies that that is that is something that yeah it just drives me crazy uh if if i may quickly before before ending yeah. the episode, and it also just very, very quickly it may also be linked with the the incredible influence of of big business on policy and economic oh, yeah. strategy yeah yeah, yeah. I agree um, I've been uh, I've been looking for so in the I, I live in Richmond, the city of Richmond, which which is an island in the uh, delta of the Fraser River. Uh, the land here is is really fertile. It used to be mostly farm, and slowly has grown. The city has grown, um, and I live uh, in in a street that one side was or houses is where I live. It's just small houses, townhouses, and the other side were farms. And I've been here seven mm -hmm. years. And in these seven years, I have seen how all those farms have been sold and transformed into gigantic, crazy, luxurious temples to bad taste in architecture. It was just horrible, mm -hmm. huge houses that are worth dozens of millions of dollars. And the rest of the land stays wasted. Is is uh, there are I don't know there I'm telling you dozens I'm pretty sure you know this very well but I see them it's in front of me I walk every day in front of them um, and the most horrible thing that troubles my heart is that I have seen how one after the other um, mm -hmm. you have these huge houses for the super rich and you know five thousand six thousand square meters of land are just wasted they are not producing anymore they used to produce tons of food. And they're now just wasted. Yeah. And at the same time, I'm, I'm yeah. listening in the news 
between COVID and between uh, you know flooding and problems that we have had, um, our our uh, supply chains for food are are being uh, you know under pressure, and you go to the grocery store and there are some things lacking and and it just I connect the dots and I see I, I, we're we're just too dumb. I mean we are just creating our mm -hmm. own you know doomsday. Well, you know I think I think that that is what you're observing is symptomatic of our larger mindset. And we see that same mindset expressed in all sorts of ways. Exactly. And it is simply that uh, the earth is here for our exploitation. Uh, we, we, we developed our economy in, in an era. Uh, Herman Daly, the, the ecological economist, uh, expressed it quite succinctly. We developed our mindset in an empty world and where, where there was more resource than we could possibly consume. Yes. So we developed this economic mindset of just consume, 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 consume. And there's always plenty of farmland. There's always plenty of fresh water. There's always fresh air. There, there's never, a, there's not a limit. But, but we, don't, we don't exist in an empty world anymore. We exist in, in a full world. We have an economy in the West anyway that is experiencing 60% or fomenting 60% ecological overshoot. We, we are simply, our, we have a, an economy that is consuming more resource than the earth can supply. And we were doing this like there's no tomorrow and there is no limit. And then, and then, so to exacerbate that situation, we've adopted this mindset also based on humans' propensity to develop uh, wheels and fire and telephones yep. and lights and <laughs> that technology will, will solve it for us when we come up yep. against these resource limits. But what, but we, what we, what we, and, and we refuse to acknowledge that there actually is a true limit to how much we can do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we're and, coming up against that. Yeah. And also the idea, the idea that we have solutions that could be implemented right now to alleviate the problem to a great extent. Um, but we are we are imagining that we can continue going on, and we will find. And obviously, the problems will just grow great, grow bigger. But we will find the way. We will find the technology. We will find the solution that even if the problem is larger, we could still fix it. And and I don't think that could be a, a very intelligent way to to move ahead in the future. But no, uh, and you know. And to the extent we do that, we will further empower uh, the global industrial system. There'll be fewer yeah. and fewer farmers. They're, and it's important. They'll, they'll make less and less money. And it's important to say that, yeah. that with, with what I just said, it, I, I don't mean, sometimes when I speak to this with other, other friends and colleagues, 
um, the, some of them, some of them react saying, "Oh well, you just want us to go back to the Middle Ages," and it's obviously not. No, no, no not no, the no. idea. No, <laughs> we 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 can still progress and we can still create well-being for humans without trashing the planet, and without creating all well, these this, inequalities. This is this is you're absolutely right, and th this is my point. We need to redefine what it is to be human. Exactly. We need to rethink what it is that actually contributes to human happiness. Yeah, we we need we need to really rethink this. Are we going to be happy when nature is gone? I mean, I already we talked about killing insects. I I uh, the disappearance of insects. I remember when I was a child, and we drove on holiday across the country. You had to get out and clean your windshield all the time because too, of all the insects and no more. Yeah, you know our children. Our children will not grow up in the natural world that you and I did because it's yeah. gone. And, and the question is, when does that stop? Where, and you ask this question, why can't we think about the natural, the logical progression of what we're doing? This is my greatest fear, Victor, yes. is that we will over time lose sight of what a really healthy yeah. A regenerative natural world is and our place in it if you can believe I, it when, i don't i don't yeah, yeah. if you it can believe it me. when i was when i was growing up in mexico city there were fireflies um yeah, yeah. well it's going, same with yes, me fireflies they're gone in, now aren't they in mexico city yeah of course no now not even rats you can find there anyway uh, we need, we no. need it's, been, it's been fantastic, but we need to close down. I have okay, three, okay. three final questions for you. Not over yet. Three yes. final questions. Completely philosophical, open-ended, no right or wrong answers. Um, just whatever comes to mind. Okay. So here goes, first one. So the longest living species that I have been able to find in literature are cyanobacteria that have existed for 2.5, around 5 billion years. So just to give, obviously, an, okay. a, a frame of reference, the oldest standing um, human structure, human-made structure, is just a few, a few thousand years old. So how do you see human development feasible from this point of view? How, what do we need to do in order to be as successful as a species as a cyanobacteria? Wow. That is... Uh, <laughs> we, we, well, we, we have to be part of the health and vitality of Mother Earth, not an antagonist to it. So we have to be part of a positive part of the of the larger, the ultimate system. Yep. Right now, we we are not, and and we used to be more, uh, but but we we have entered into this. Uh, phase of being hyper intrusive and, and hyper impactful. And uh, uh, to the extent that we now call this the Anthropocene. But we, if, if we need to take that ability far more seriously. And, and by that, I mean, not that we need to uh, think that, that we're the emperors of the universe, and that everything should be managed by us. Uh, what I think is we need to figure out how to 
far more positively exist in in the larger community of creation we absolutely have to and and it is not in my mind just for what it's worth it's not just a matter of survival it could come down to that because mother earth will continue we may not and and there's nothing that says we have to be here but 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 what i really think is if we do that we will be more actualized we will be happier, healthier, more yeah. fulfilled entities. And yes. I, in my mind, what, what could be more fulfilling to know that you are, your existence along with your fellow humans nurtures this magnificent planet that we live on, this magnificent creation. No, I can't I, think I of agree. anything more fulfilling. I agree. I think that if, if we truly do a, a good job, we, we will come out of this dark period uh, much better, greater for sure, and for longer so. time. So second question. Um, so from your perspective, what is the importance of failure in human discovery and progress? Well, I, I think it's, it's tremendously important you you learn from that failure and if you pay attention you you gain insight in in better ways of doing things better ways of being and quite frankly i i i have i have said that if we if we really in in agriculture and our food system if if we want to chart a positive, appropriate path forward that that embraces the things that I've been talking about, then we need to look at the entirety of of agriculture and food systems, 11,000 year history. What have we done well? Yes. What have we not done well? We uh, let's let's and in particularly uh, relative to the industrialization of agriculture and the contemporary global industrial food system, let's fully uh, analyze what has gone wrong. Where has it, where is it failing? Yeah. Where is it not supporting the achievement of what we know we need to achieve? Because through that, then we know what to fix. So, so acknowledging failure, knowing you're going to fail sometimes is absolutely instrumental in in doing the right thing. Okay, so that will be, this will be the last question. So describe for us the future of your choosing. First, imagine, you know, 100 years from now, 1,000 years from now, maybe 10,000 years from now, and how that will look like. I think about this a lot, actually. I see a future where humans exist to nurture Mother Earth. I, I see a future where the rights of nature are, are sanctity and, and fully recognized legally. And in that future, then our, our economy is obligated to operate in ways that are respectful of the limits of the natural world and respectful of the right to be for all creatures. 
I see in that future an economy that is focused on right living as opposed to absolute wealth creation. And therein, an absolute recognition that real wealth is exists in right living, not in a bank account. And um, I see a future where technology uh, plays a role in that and that we have developed a an appropriate technology ethos. So we, we really pick and choose what technologies we develop and utilize and, and how we utilize them. And I see a future uh, where we, we absolutely move away from, from the Western European colonialist economic perspective, uh, which we, we are still in the throes of, if you ask me. I don't think just because we don't send in the conquistadors anymore or yeah the, or or the or the the you know to conquer people we just do it different way yeah and colonization so happens I, in a different I, way. yeah it, it really does i see a future where where the wealth we do generate is afforded more equitable distribution and full recognition that it takes all of us to generate that wealth. Mm-hmm. It, it, uh, all of us are, are participants in the generation of that wealth. And, and, and certain people don't get to hoard billions, hundreds of billions of dollars. And, and, I, and I recognize that that is a, could be construed as a utopian kind of aspiration. I see no other vital, viable future for humanity. I really don't. You know, I'll tell you, I also hope that in the future, people will get up in the morning and they'll look out and they'll, they'll say, this is how magnificent. I, 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 I want to be, I want to support this. I don't want to destroy it every yeah. day. I, I hope people will get to that point. We will get. Uh, I I um, I think so. I also hope in the future we we have reversed uh, the decline of biodiversity and we we actually build economic systems that encourage biodiversity. So I think that's kind of the way I is, what I'm uh, hoping for. Is is definitely a beautiful future. I would like to live there for sure. Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm convinced that if we can do that, we will be happier. All of us will be happier. Yes. Elon Musk may not be happier, and Jeff Bezos may not be happier. Yeah, well, yeah, well, I don't know about, about Bezos. I don't know what he wants in life. Um, I, yeah, we, we have discussed Elon Musk in this, in this um, uh, podcast other, other times. And I, I get what he's doing, and I support many of the things that he's doing. Is 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 the how, and mm-hmm. probably the 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 why's as well that maybe yes. are not are not so aligned. But yeah. anyway, yeah, yeah. it's it's uh, it's important just to continue discussing these things and sharing the information. I I truly believe that that a, a, a different future, a positive future, is possible. 
And we won't get there if we don't communicate, if we don't share that's ideas right. in, a, in a respectful and open and honest way. No? Yeah. So that's, that's, yeah. that's my whole intention. And that and learning. I'm, I'm learning a lot uh, from, from these, these chats with uh, all of you. So uh, Dr. Murinix, uh, thank you, Kent, if I may. Yes. Thank you so yes. much. This has been uh, absolutely a pleasure. I will love to continue. There were a few things that I wanted to discuss, but it's almost two hours now. Um, and I, uh, I know you're busy. So I appreciate very much your time. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, absolutely. My pleasure, Victor. And, and uh, if, if you'd like to continue the discussion sometime, I'm, I would be pleased to do so. so well, we, we yeah, happen, we happen to work in the same... Thank you. We happen to work in the same same uh, same uh, campus. So next time we meet each other, I'll bring the coffee, and and we can sit down and chat for for a few more hours for sure. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. You bet. I hope you are as inspired and energized as I am after hearing Dr. Molinix. He is truly a great man with a great heart the knowledge and experience to clearly show the path forward. From what I learned talking to him in regards to food production, we were not doing that bad until a few decades ago. It is quite clear that the transformation of our food production from a local regional one with the goal of feeding people to the globalized food system that we have now, driven by wealth generation and focused exclusively in increasing GDP, has caused great imbalances in the ecosystems and the Earth's processes that sustain us all. Things like soil degradation, the use of synthetic fertilizers that disrupt the microbiota and the carbon cycle, and that eventually drains out to the oceans, creating these hypoxic zones. Hypoxic means that the water has too little oxygen to support marine life. If that was not enough, we have made our food production dependent on oil extraction, knowing not only it is a pollutant, but also that it is a finite resource. And moreover, the massive problems with water depletion. Please think twice how you use water. So yes, it looks like we are parting like there is no tomorrow, leaving all the consequences of our actions to future generations and treating nature with the utmost disrespect. It was a great surprise to learn that today the world produces 3,200 calories per human per day, and yet there are people still going hungry every day. Just as a reference, according to the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, a healthy adult needs between 2,000 and 2,600 calories per day. That is depending on the level of activity, your age, and gender. Another shock and discovery is the lack of farmers and all the economics behind for that to happen. Dr. Munich said it clearly, the sole purpose of agriculture is to deliver nutrition to humans, but we have turned it into a money-making venture. This is not about earning a living, this is about profiteering. We know what needs to be done. Sustainable regenerative farming practices and food systems that are focused on community regenerative and ecologically sound communities. Especially knowing the challenges coming from uh, climate change, we need resilient communities and number one thing should be food security. I would like to end by simply quoting what Dr. Munich beautifully said. Hope resides in acknowledging the challenges we face, 
and in having a sense of what needs to be done, knowing that it is simply the right thing to do. Reframing what means to me human cannot be the creation of wealth at any cost. We cannot afford that. Humans have to learn to live on Earth in a way that does not undermine the health and vitality of the planet and create economies that allow the dignity and sanctity of all life, human and all others. This has been one of the most eye-opening, inspiring conversations I have ever had. It really leaves me with a sense of purpose and determination to continue working. I hope it does for you too. So we are approaching the end of this first season. Uh, there is one more interview to go. I thank you again for your time and attention. Please subscribe, like, comment, and please help me spread these good ideas to others. Uh, all the best and see you in the next episode. Future Exploration is produced and written by me, Victor Martinez. Music is composed by Rafael Crooks, Udayana Lugo, and Mauro and Daniel Martinez. Future Exploration is licensed under the Creative Commons with attribution and non-commercial use.